We are back, ladies and gentlemen, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, I'm doing okay, I assure you, following my team's loss in the Final Four. Don't really want to think about that too much, though, now uh, as we move on forward. Uh, let's try to talk about music that is not related to sports or anything that you might hear in a stadium or at least in an arena. Well, anyway, life is how it goes. Uh, still proud of Michigan State for its incredible season, so hats off to the Spartans there. Um, talking about music, as always, on this podcast, great live albums. Uh, we did part one where we talked about uh, some U2 records. Uh, 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 we talked about uh, what was uh, the Rolling Stones, many other bands as well. But we have uh, some others that we wanted to continue that list uh, with, and not a top ten again because of, of just so much to get to. We really felt like it was unfair to do a top 10 or even a top 20 but um we're we're talking about great live records that are great for various reasons how they established a band how they captured a live sound also controversy what was live what wasn't live and that kind of thing too uh so we'll get into that first some music news uh zz top set to celebrate their 50th anniversary with the tour um so we have to look for uh, some dates on on uh, that uh jeff beck and uh, rod stewart getting together for the first time at length uh, to do an at-length set in 35 years. They'll be playing the Hollywood Bowl, uh, so that will be something really cool to see. I'm already jealous for people who will be going to that show. Um, I will see what ticket prices are, but uh, you know, I can only imagine they would be through the roof for a show like that. So first time in 35 years, the guys from the original Jeff Beck group from 67, Rod Stewart, Jeff Beck will be working, performing together. So that will be really, really cool uh, to see. Also, Aerosmith kicked off its residency in Vegas. The Deuces Are Wild uh, residency there. They're coming. They're going to be, be in Atlantic City, uh, I want to say later this summer. I saw a billboard that I believe said August. I'll have to double check that just going off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, they were talking about their residency that they will be doing there. And uh, they played a lot of classics. And a lot. Of, it's something that a lot of bands, mostly pop performers, had done that for years. I mean, Celine Dion and uh, Tony Braxton and others, but you're seeing more rock bands doing that in recent years. Um, uh, Queen just did one uh, a short time back, I think. Uh, you also had uh, Def Leppard doing a residency there, and they put out a live record for it. Uh, which I think is Viva Hysteria. I believe that was from that time. If not, anyway, I know they did a live record for sure in recent years, uh, you know, talking about, um, with content from those live shows, uh, their residency. So that's some of the rock and roll news. It's Rock of Nations. It's a new week. Um, we're actually a little late on this show. Uh, we just, uh, the weekend ran busy, so we're kind of doing the part two of our um, great live albums on uh, the, the show for the early part of the week, but that's okay. Uh, the content's great just the same. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We're just getting started. And we're back jet-setting through the skies uh, as we make our way through top uh, records, live records, uh, in part two of our live albums. Uh, not countdown, but uh, examination. I, I wanted to do a top ten again, but it just there were so many to get to. We just couldn't really get to that many. In a, we couldn't limit it to a top ten or even a top fifteen. But in part one, we talked about the Rolling Stones. We talked about Deep Purple, Thin Lizzy, many other bands like that. Um, of course, you uh, two as well. But uh, continuing on with our list of very distinct live records, we mentioned briefly uh, Frampton Comes Alive, uh, Peter Frampton's live record from, I think, 76. Now, this one was unique um, because this record really did put him on the charts in the United States. Um, 
he says, uh, according to past interviews, that most of the um, most of the album is live, except for the first verse of one song. And there was something that happened that uh, somehow a, a, the chord to a bass guitar got pulled, and that somehow that that knocked the microphone down to a certain degree, and and um, that affected the ability of. Um, the sound to be captured, something to that effect. Um, so he says there were a couple of things that they had to fix in the studio, but he says most of it is live. And again, that's always the case with some live, as, with an album, there's some aspect of it that is not fully live. Some albums are a little more controversial than others when it comes to that dynamic. Um, uh, but we know that, so this one was, uh, it, it was really special because it it had that sing-along aspect to it, you know, with uh, Do You Feel Like We Do, that song, you know, um, you hear that version, uh, you hear the live version more than you hear anything else. Um, I think, at least every time I've heard it, and I'm just going to go through my notes here. Always a challenge to read my writing. Most of this knowledge is in my head, but then you discover a couple things and you say, okay, yeah, you know, we got to write that down uh, and uh, yeah, I don't know why I can't find anyway okay yeah I found that part so yeah a very uh, wonderful record honestly and one that um, for a solo artist I think really stands out as, as one of the top it was uh, one of his best selling albums in the states too um, that was another point that I found interesting you know so this was a time when live records really were so important, uh, you know, to get the idea of what a band was about or what an artist was about out to the public if you didn't see them before. Um, another one is Alive by Kiss. We talked about this one briefly as well. Now, this is considered, a, some have said, you know, there was a documentary on VH1 that said that this was the first live album for hard rock, heavy metal. And I'm inclined to sort of believe that if you don't go, if you don't include the you know, the Stones is hard rock or you don't include uh, Deep Purple's uh, Made in Japan, which we talked about in the first uh, segment. Now, the thing about Kiss is Kiss is known for the live show. I mean, the, uh, the aspect of Kiss, many people say, you know, they're not great musicians. They were never wonderful musicians, but the guys in Kiss were... Um, known for theatricality, you know, the, ri the rising uh, drum platform, the, you know, blood spitting and fire breathing from Gene Simmons, you know, Paul Stanley flying across the crowd, which I think actually happened a little later. The, the unison, that things that they would do in unison, like the swaying uh, towards the end of uh, Deuce and, uh, you know, the thing that Ace does when he plays guitar on his knees for uh, Black Diamond, like all of that. Now, and some of the songs even came later uh, and were not on um, Alive. You know, Alive, for example, does not have Detroit Rock City because that came out a bit later. That's on Alive too. Um, but you get Strutter, um, you get Deuce, you get some of those those songs that were on the first Kiss album. Uh, and what's really great about Alive, you know, it was recorded partially in Wildwood, New Jersey, which I didn't know really until a few years back. But I always knew, you know, it was live in Cleveland and certainly live in Detroit at Cobo Hall for me to see... Kiss's last show at Cobo Hall was really special back in 2009 because you you knew a live was recorded there and it was it's just you could feel the history in that room you know um but the al that album was unique because the band's first few records struggled in sales because people you know you either saw them as a live band or you probably didn't really hear about them that much so the band had an idea 
with Bill Acoin, the manager, they said, you know, let's do a live record so that people can understand what we're really about. And people heard the bombs going off and the pyros and the crowd and, and all the stuff going on and, and the Ace Fraley on lead guitar and all the, you know, just the, the rock and roll preacher aspect of Paul Stanley. And what was great about that is that that became their biggest selling album at that point and, and shot them into the stars in terms of taking them to a vastly higher level and platform of popularity in the United States. And then the albums that came after that destroyer, um, uh, in 76 was a massive success, obviously with the song Beth on it, although I think Detroit Rock City and Flaming Youth are probably the strongest songs on there, in my opinion. Um, King of the Nighttime World also. You know, and so the rest was, you know, as they say, history. So that was a critical record. Now the controversy over what's live and what's not. Eddie Kramer, the engineer, said, um, according to one write-up I saw, that um, that the the drums were actually the only, Peter Chris's drums were really the only live part of the original part of the original live recording uh, that they fixed a lot of other things. But the band has generally said, you know, and Paul Stanley said, yeah, you know, a guitar that's out of tune, we're going to fix that, or you know, a, an effect. You know, he says when you would hear some of the pyros going off or the bombs going off, they would sound like I think Gene even said a popcorn fart or something like that. It would sound very small, so they had to go recreate that so they did dramatize some of the explosions and the sounds you hear as being either heavily amplified or just recreations of what really took place uh recreating the sound at least so yeah you do get some of that tinkering they generally say it was a really minor thing they stand by alive as a great record um it is always a little bit of a bummer when you realize okay certain things on a live album uh aren't really live it's not to the extent of my favorite live record uh, right here, right now by Van Halen. We talked about that in, in the first half where pretty much everything was redone, you know, guitars, vocals. Uh, Sammy says, again, in his book, read that they put him in a studio with video of the concert playing in front of him, in front of him and told him to sing again, which really kind of stinks. But anyway, you got to put a live on that list for obvious reasons there. Um... Live Evil's another one by Black Sabbath. This was their first live record. And, and of course, with Ronnie James Dio coming in, this was kind of the opposite of Van Halen in the sense that um, when they did a live, when, when uh, they had a second popular singer replace their first popular singer, uh, in, the, in the words of Sabbath, they played a lot of the Ozzy stuff. Um, or a few more, I should say, they played a few more Ozzy songs. Um, just from my recollection, you know, when I, I have the record, um, a few more live songs from the Ozzy era than you would have thought they would have done. I mean, they still played a lot of the Mob Rules and, and you know, it was part of the Mob Rules tour, the second album with Dio. So they played a lot of that. And they did play a lot of um, Heaven and Hell, which was still very popular. But I was surprised to see as many Ozzy era songs on there. Um, I like that version of Paranoid, to be perfectly honest. I think there's something really cool about it. Now, this is different from, say, Van Halen when Sammy first joined the band. And, you know, other than Jump uh, and other than Ain't Talking About Love on Life Without a Net, um, this is not an album release, but a, a DVD release. Other than that, you know, they really didn't play a lot of, um, of Roth era songs. And that was kind of a staple throughout Sammy's time in the band where they did more of the, the Sammy stuff. They'd even play Sammy's solo songs like, there's, you know, There's One Way to Rock and... Uh, you know, I think at some point I can't drive 55, um, you know, more of Sammy's solo stuff than they ever did at any of the Roth material. So kind of an interesting dynamic, but the, the 
one of the problems, infamous problems with the recording of uh, the Live Evil album uh, is that there were differing accounts of what happened, but essentially there was a major, the, the band was starting to fracture a bit. Vinny Appice, the drummer, says that he and Ronnie James Dio, um, the Italian-American guys in the band, were uh, were driving in one car, and, and uh, Geezer Butler and Tony Iommi, the Brits, were driving in, in their own car, kind of getting to gigs and that kind of thing. Um, it was also said at one point that um, you know Ronnie would stick around and sign autographs with fans and th- for fans and things like that, while Tony and Geezer bailed and would move on. Um, but the real issue was the mixing of the album in the studio, where apparently there was an engineer who Tony Iommi said in one interview had a major drinking problem, and his credibility was was immediately shot. But Tony and Geezer were also doing drugs. Some of the other guys in the band say and. And uh, the engineer told them that, you know, Ronnie James Dio, at one point, Vinnie Appice, but Ronnie would come in and, and Vinnie and they would work to mix the, the vocals and the drums up higher than the guitar and bass. And so by the time uh, Tony and Geezer came in, they found that out, um, this fabricated story from this engineer, and were so livid. You know, these guys were founding members of Black Sabbath. Tony and Geezer were founding members of, of this band. And we're not about to give up any control. So they were so livid, they just broke up the band at that point. Um, there were other things involved, of course. Then you get Ian Gillen uh, from Deep Purple, who comes in um, for the Born Again album in 83, which is not terrible. Production issues, I think, on it, but overall not a terrible record. So that's the story uh, with that one. But I think that album really does capture the early essence of what Black Sabbath was with Ronnie James Dio. And I think it does a nice job of it. Um, although they had problems with the crowd aspect of it because the crowd sounds a little strange in some parts. So they couldn't, I think that was sort of an after effect of the mixing. They were so focused on the music, they didn't really mix in the crowd as well as they could have. Um, you also have uh, Live at Leeds, The Who, um, some big tracks off that one. I'm not a big Who fan personally, but that's one of the, the songs or the albums that you really hear people talk about, talk about when they talk about great live albums, Live at Leeds, The Who. So we'll certainly mention that. Um, I think we mentioned Cheap Trick at Budokan briefly, but um, you know, again, Cheap Trick, record, very popular in Japan, like many bands were recording at that legendary venue, uh, Budokan. I think it's Nippon Budokan, but I've never really heard people say the Nippon or Nippon part. They just call it Budokan. Uh, so, you know, it was really one of their best-selling records. Um, I Want You to Want Me, Ain't That a Shame. I mean, all these big songs that, you know, again, you hear the live versions as singles on the radio on classic rock stations to this day from those live records more so than you do the actual original recordings, which is kind of an interesting take on how an interesting testament to how popular those albums are, uh, those live records are. Uh, how the West was won. Uh, this one, uh, Led Zeppelin, these were recordings from California concerts uh, in 1972, and uh, they, Jimmy Page had said that they, they, you know, there were a lot of bootlegs out there at the time, but there really wasn't a polished, crisp recording, so they did a lot of remastering and a lot of audio engineering, but in 2003, How the West Was One came out, and that immediately became a huge, I remember when it came out, it was a huge chart topper, because you got to hear some of these great classic Led Zeppelin songs from in their prime. They did some production enhancement on the sound um, in engineering, so that was a big, big one there, too, so we, we have to include that. Uh, what else? We had another one on here. We talked about Live Evil Black Sabbath. We talked about that. 
Oh, by, by the way, um, with the heaven and hell thing, or, okay, with, with the uh, Black Sabbath, uh, one footnote I wanted to mention with Live Evil, that lineup of, of Black Sabbath, which was Ronnie James Dio on vocals, Tony Iommi guitar, Geezer Butler on bass, Vinny Appice on drums, they got together two other times in Black Sabbath history, which was really unique for a band to do that. In 1992, they got back together and they did the Dehumanizer, Dehumanizer album, which features the song uh, TV Crimes, which was in Wayne's World, um, on the Wayne's World soundtrack. Um, and then they came back again uh, in like 2006 to promote the album uh, Black Sabbath, The Dio Years, you know, a compilation of Heaven and Hell from 1980, um, Mob Rules from 1981 and Dehumanizer, the album from 1992. And what's interesting about that is they called the band Heaven and Hell at the time because they wanted to pay homage to specifically the Dio years. And there was a legal issue where Ozzy was technically the lead singer of Black Sabbath at that point. So it was really Heaven and Hell in the spirit of Black Sabbath, essentially, you know, promoting a Black Sabbath greatest hits album, but they could not call themselves Black Sabbath. So it was a little confusing to some people. Um, I had to, uh, that was always one of my favorite lineups of the band. And I got to see them in Detroit at Kobo, actually, which was really, really cool um, to see that show. And they did a live album called Live from Radio City Music Hall, where you can get, you know, Ronnie's voice. And I don't know if he was sick at the time uh, before passing away uh, from stomach cancer. Um, gosh, about 10 years ago now almost. But, um, you know, you could tell his voice was much richer and throatier, but it was still there. He still had the dynamic. He looked like he had aged a bit and was going through something but he's still the voice was still there just much richer much deeper and that that's a great way to listen to um some of the and i use the term recent in quotation marks but some of the latest you know later performances of you know heaven and hell and die young and and uh, you know um What's that one song? Uh, uh, Children of the Sea, you know, the first song they wrote together, you know, Tony and, and uh, Ronnie, you know. So such a, a special album, I think, because it really does capture the band. And there's a video performance, too, which is really great, too. So I would have to go with that one. So we got, uh, you know, How the West Was Won by Zeppelin, uh, Cheap Tricks uh, Live at Budokan, um, uh, Kiss Alive also, uh, Live at Leeds, a brief mention by The Who, uh, and uh, what else here? Um, yeah, and Live Evil by Sabbath. So those are some good ones. Uh, I wanted to put one more in there, which was uh, Brave New World by Black, uh, Black Sabbath. Brave New World by Iron Maiden, which came out in about 2000. Actually, 2000, early 2000s, early 2000s. Now, this was the first live album that, this was the reunion album in front of about 250,000 people at Rock in Rio, uh, Steve Harris says in the liner notes or in the, the, uh, the write-up inside the, uh, the actual uh, recording. And it's, it's incredible because everybody sounds, it's, it's a wall of Maiden, I mean a wall of sound, incredibly well engineered. The video performance that goes along with it is awesome. Um, they do some Blaze Bailey songs in there who replaced Bruce Dickinson when he left the band. Um, they, they have, you know, you have the Trooper, which we talked about, the joint, uh, guitar solos, the twin solos that Adrian performing his original solo on the track, and then Yannick, who replaced Adrian Smith, um, but stayed in the band when Adrian came back. Um, uh, Yannick still playing that part of the solo because he would play it when Adrian was not in the band. So um, that's definitely worth a mention because it was the biggest show they ever played at that point. 
uh, at Rock and Rio. It was huge. You know, they're big in Latin America anyway. Uh, they're big in so many other countries around the world, Iron Maiden. Uh, and you get so many great songs. And by the way, what's unique is it was coming off of the Brave New World album, which was the reunion album after Bruce rejoined the Bruce and Adrian came back in 1999. I first heard that live record when it came out or around the time it came out um, called Rock and Rio. Uh, and then I heard, um, sorry, there's a fire truck passing, I think. And then I heard, um, the Brave New World album. And I said, my gosh, the, the actual reunion studio, studio album, some of the songs are a lot slower. Dream of Mirrors and, and Brave New World, the title track's so much slower. I prefer the Rock and Rio version better for those new songs because it's faster and it just, it's built for live. So you got to mention that one on there too. And we have a special announcement to close up the show here. I have a live record of my own. I actually did my own live record, believe it or not. You know what that is? It's this podcast, <laughs> which is recorded live. Okay, fine. I don't know. For some reason, that seemed really funny. We got 14 tracks to Act 14 or 14 shows. Anyway, and they're all really long, except for a couple of weekend teasers that we did where we talk about what's coming up in the week in rock. Anyway, okay, whatever. Um, we do invite you in the spirit of live uh, recordings to uh, check out everything we've done on this podcast, our 14th show so far. So really, it's always great to, to have feedback from the folks out there, and we're getting listenership from all over the world I mean it's it's really crazy you know I I was kind of blown away I figured we get a little bit from the UK and other places but we we've had some really good numbers from folks uh, listening to us in uh, the United Kingdom and Japan I mean in Turkey you know and some parts of Latin America so you know we we love you all around the world this show is for you we call it Rock of Nations uh, with Dave Kinchin for a reason because we celebrate the rock of all nations and we really are proud to be doing this and continuing on um so our next show midweek we're going to be getting into some great venues uh, some really great venues and one thing i want to look at too at some point in the future is when do members of a band actually get considered members of the band you've got some longtime people who have played alongside bands that later joined the band as an official member long after they've been playing with them for a while. Um, bon Jovi's done that. Uh, some people say there's been some folks who have said, you know, it would be nice if the Rolling Stones included their bass player, their longtime session bass player as an original or as a as a, an official member. Will they do that? Who knows? But um, of course, the Rolling Stones have bigger issues going on right now with mixed health. Uh, and there's heart surgery that we, from what I read, was successful. But, uh, you know, of course, he's going to be off the road for some time. So, uh, yeah, we've got lots more to get to. We continue to celebrate uh, all things rock and roll with you and with this podcast. I know it's only rock and roll, but I need it. And so do you. Until next time, my friends, keep on rocking. <laughs>